last few weeks, we've been talking about in this means war, you know, that God calls us to battle, calls us to fight, calls us to a war, a real spiritual war that's going on in this world that we are engaged in, whether you're a believer or not. Every human being is under attack by the evil one. Satan is, is after all of God's creation. I mean, his goal is to, to rob, steal, kill, and destroy, and take away from God what is God's, right? That's the devil's mission, especially if you're a believer. When you become a believer, you, you have this target on your back, and the devil does not like you. So that puts you in a place where you're going to be under attack, right? And we're talking about war, and we're talking about the fact that as believers, we, we are called to engage in that battle, right? We're called to engage in the war. Um, and, and that's not an easy thing, because it's, it's, we're fighting spiritual forces that we don't see, right? They come at us, and, and the devil throws things at us that are physical, okay? Those things we do see, and we feel those temptations, and we feel those things attacking us and trying to drag us away, but the deeper battle is is deep within our heart and our soul for God, right? To honor God or not to honor God, to, to make decisions that represent Him or not to represent Him. All the surface things, the, the physical temptations, those are just little darts the devil's thrown at you, right? And we talked about the fact that the Scripture calls us to war. Joel said, prepare for war, right? Moses said in Deuteronomy, he said, when you go to war, and so all through time, God has called his people to war, to go to war. In the Old Testament, there was a lot of physical war going on. All of it, every bit of it, was, was, a, was a shadow of what we are fighting today. And that's a war that can't be seen by the eyes. It's a battle that God has called us to. And we are, God has given us through Paul, he, he shared with this in Ephesians 6, to put on the full armor of God, right? That's what we're called to do. Put on God's armor so that we can fight this spiritual battle that's waging war against our soul. Right? That's what's going on. We talked a little bit about teaching our children to stand. Right? That as parents, we have a responsibility. And as a church, we have a responsibility to help teach our kids how to fight in this world. How to stand. Not against physical forces, but against spiritual forces. Teach them how to pray and teach them the word of God so that as they grow and as they go out into the world, they can stand on their own two feet, you know, with the Lord. If you don't do anything for your kid, if you'll do this one thing, if you have small children, if you'll just teach them how to stand on their own two feet together with the Lord, you have done the best thing that you can do for them. Teach them to do that, and you have done what's right. We said all of this is so that we can fight for the right to celebrate in Jesus, right? To party, right? Oh, party. Like so we did last night. Woo-woo, party. <laughs> Went downtown and we partied a little bit. Right, Trace? <laughs> At the, uh, the theater. We went to the theater. We had a great time at the theater, partying together. But we fight for the right to celebrate in Jesus. That's really what we're fighting for, the right to, to live a, the abundant life in Christ, 
That's what we're fighting for, to stay right there. Not for anything else. We're not fighting for other things or physical things or anything else in this world. We're fighting for the right to stay right there in the presence of Jesus. And today, as we wrap this up, the word to us is this. The battle is the Lord's. Okay, say that with me. The battle is the Lord's because it truly is his. Okay, it's truly the Lord's battle. And I want to challenge you today to think about this. Okay, if you don't get anything else out of this, I want to challenge you to live a G24 life. That's a, uh, an understanding that every 24 hours that you have is a gift from God. Okay, you aren't promised tomorrow. You're not promised retirement. What you are promised is this day. God allows you to wake up this morning and breathe breath of air, and you have this day. You have 24 hours. And I want to challenge you to look at life in these gifts of 24-hour periods and live a 24, a G24 life. That is, you wake up and you realize that today may be my last day on this planet, and I'm going to live it for God. I'm going to give it to God, I'm going to live it for God, and I'm going to spend time with God today. Okay, that's my challenge for you today, is that by the end of this message, you will be more committed to say, I'm not going to look at my future so much. We, we do that. We do think about what's coming up and what's going to go on in a few years from now, or got weddings planned, you know, in the planning, and got kids happening, and got family to, to do, and all that stuff. That's fine. We've got to think about that. But, but we need to also focus on that this 24-hour period is a gift from God. It's a gift, and I'm not going to squander it, and I'm not going to leave him out of it, which is what we do, because we're so focused on tomorrow that we forget that God has given us a gift today. And so what I hope we'll do is, is acknowledge the fact that we have this gift today. And I'm going to give part of that back to God today. I'm going to live it for him, but I'm going to spend time with him too. Okay, that's my challenge for you. And I, I love how God is able. Don't you love how God is like totally able to conquer anything? You know, the battle is the Lord's and he is more than able to conquer. Back in Exodus, remember the story, uh, Moses leads the people up out of Egypt and, and they're wandering now for a little while before they cross the Red Sea. And as they're wandering, they left G, uh, Egypt and they're being pursued by the Egyptians. And here's what the scripture says in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. Look what it says. It says, but Moses said to the people, get this, this is so good. Do not fear, okay, that's the first thing, is no matter what's going on in your world, as you're wandering through life, and the battle belongs to the Lord, and you know that, do not be afraid. Why? Why? Because fear shows that you're not trusting God, right? When we are afraid, it's, it's like us saying, I'm taking matters into my own hands, and I'm not sure I can do this. But when we totally give it to God, fear goes away, because it's God. And he's more than able to fight the battle, isn't he? I mean, he's more than able. So here's what Moses says. Do not, do not fear. He says, stand by and see. He's speaking to the people. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish. Who will accomplish? He will accomplish for you today. And look what he says. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. <laughs> That's pretty powerful. The Lord will fight for you. 
You only need to be still. Boy, that's the message for, for us today right there. The battle belongs to God. And when we find ourselves and hide ourselves in him, and we, we fight to keep in his presence, like we put on all that armor, not to go out and do wonderful things for God, but we put on the armor to stay in his presence every moment of our lives. We live in the presence of God, doing only what he calls us to do. When we stay right there, the battle belongs to him and the victory is ours. We have no reason to be afraid. The salvation will come from God. He will save you. He will rescue you. He will give you the victory that you need. Okay, I love what, what Moses says to these people. You will never, these, these attacks that are coming against you from the Egyptians, you will never see these people again. And we know what happened to them. They were destroyed. God destroyed them, right? That's what God does to strongholds that come up against us in our life. To any authority or ruler or power in evil places that come up against you, God is able to destroy those, to demolish those strongholds through his divine power. Amen? I mean, that's where it's from. We know this in our minds, right? We all know God is able to do this. God is able to conquer. God is able to squish. God is able to demolish and punish. And God is able to do all these things. And what we fight to do is stay right there in his presence. See, prayer Prayer links us to God's amazing power. Prayer. Remember when Paul says, put on all the armor, the last thing he says is, and pray. All of the armor is so that we can stay in the presence of God and pray. Now, I know we all believe in prayer, right? We all believe in prayer, sure enough. We believe that the scriptures teach us to pray. We know that God does amazing things in prayer and through prayer. We know that God goes to work when God's people pray, and we do trust his judgment. We do. No doubt about it. We all do. We know that God is alive and working and wants us to talk to him and spend time with him, and we know that he's going to move in the midst of our prayer. And yet, and yet, knowing all this, we still don't engage in the most powerful activity on the planet enough. Right? We believe it all. We just don't really have time to do it. And when we pray, we are tapping into the most powerful force in all of the universe. You just think about that for a minute. Think about what you're doing when you talk to the Creator. You are grabbing onto amazing power, great power. Not just power that, that like lights up a city, but power that feeds your soul. Power that opens your eyes and your heart to what he's doing in the world and in your life and, and what he's wanting to lead you to do. I mean, a power that is unseen, that the world can't touch, the world can't hear. Only those who are engaged in, in Christ and in the presence of God who tap into that here. See, nuclear bombs, right? Mushroom clouds, rockets, missiles, and fighters' jets cannot compare to the power that we have in God. Doesn't even come, to, come close. 
to the power that we tap into when we pray. And the one who made the heavens and the earth, he wants to speak to you. He wants to spend time with you. Right? He wants you to spend time with him, not for any agenda, simply to just spend time with you. You know, not to, not to give you your marching orders, right? Not to tell you all the things you did wrong. Just to tell you that he loves you. Just to, to have a conversation with. To develop a, a, a relationship with, right? That you are walking in this wor- world in the presence of God all the time. That he's alive and breathing. We just sang the song, we are breathing the breath of God, every breath. That's the the relationship he wants to have with us. Like every step we take, every breath we we take is in him. And so we have to ask ourselves, why? Like, why don't we engage in all that power? You know, why don't we spend time with God enough? Why don't we? It's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question. Maybe there's there's a few reasons. Maybe it's because we're afraid. Maybe it's a, we're afraid at that power. I mean, that's, that's electrifying power. You know, nobody's going to stick their finger in a light socket, right? You know, that's not a fun thing to do. There's a lot of power when you tap into God. And maybe we're just simply afraid that if we do, he might change our lives. I mean, he might want us to do something that we don't want to do. Right? He, might, he might have different plans for us than we want for ourselves, right? We're afraid of the mystery of God that if we pray too long with him, he might have us doing things that we're not comfortable doing, and we don't like that. And so we're, we're pretty careful about how long we'll spend with God. Maybe it's because we believe the lie of the devil. And the lie of the devil goes like this. Your schedule is too full. You've got a to-do list. <laughs> you've got a to-do list. You know, you've got things you've got to do today, right? You've got things you've got to do this week. I've got to get things done. You know, I'm on a schedule. The devil has, has told me that as a human, I have to, like, be doing all these things so that I'm successful or so I accomplish something or so that I'm, I can feel like I'm, I'm getting somewhere in this world, in life, compared to other people, like, like I'm staying equal to them. Right? Our minds are cluttered and our minds are like racing, right? Constantly. I don't know, maybe you feel this, that you're constantly having to like, like NASCAR, you're just, you know, you're just like, your mind is like going a mile a minute and, and you, you're just, you just, you know, you might, you might stop or slow down every once and take a pit stop and talk to God and maybe report into God, but stop for a while and talk to God and like spend time with him. That might, that might change my life, right? That might require too much of my effort. He might want, he, I might find out that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. He might have a whole new plan for my life. And I don't want to deal with that. So we just run the race. We buy into the devil's lie. Just stay busy. Report to God every once in a while. That's good enough. You know, take your little pit stop in there. And to really seek the Lord and and seek the face of God, we might have to slow down or even come to a stop and have some quiet time with the Lord or just go up into the mountains like Jesus did. 
and do some like self-evaluation and, and some personal reflection and really like just spend time with God asking God, God, am I being your child today? Like, am I truly following you or am I just living the human life and just doing whatever the wind blows? You know, and, and to do that requires that I might have to stop. And here's the thing, we're, we're so busy, we're so busy and we are so afraid that if we stop, we might not know how to get going again, right? That if I come to a halt, I might not know how to get going again, or I'm going to forget what I'm supposed to be doing, and I can't afford with my important schedule to do that. The lie of the devil. That, that if I slow down too long, it's like, like when you go on vacation, right, and you, you love being on vacation. Everybody loves going to the mountains. You love going to the beach. You love having a good time. But you know, and I know, what's waiting for us when we get back home. And that's a desk with stuff piled up now. It's going to take weeks, maybe months, to catch up again. We don't like that. We don't like that pile of stuff that we have to now catch up on. And so we approach prayer the same way, that if we stop and spend too much time with God, we're going to forget where we were in life and all the things that we have to do. And so we don't. We don't. We just mm, mm, keep running the race. We just keep going as fast as we can because we feel important this way feel like we're accomplishing something this way. And God the whole time is saying, just stop. Just stop. Second Chronicles chapter 7. The Lord appears to Solomon, a passage you are all familiar with. The Lord appears to Solomon right after he finishes, uh, he accomplishes building the temple. And this passage that you know so well, we're going to just look at some of these verses, says it all about what God wants for us. Look what he says here. He says, in chapter 7, such a great chapter, um, Solomon finishes the temple. God has heard his prayers. And in verse 13, this is what the scripture says. God says, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or when I command the locusts to devour the land and send a plague among my people. Let's just stop right there for a minute. In other words, God is saying in other words, God is saying, when, when you wander off from me, when you rebel because of your sin, or when you think you're just too busy to spend time with the creator of the universe, and I have to do something drastic to get your attention, not because I don't like you, but because I love you more than you'll ever know, and I do this to get your attention because you're neglecting the eternal life that could be yours, God says, when I have to do these things out of my love for you, it's like we put these temporary, when, when we put the temporary things in front of the, the eternal things, right? When we put things of the world, the surface things of this world that we all are engaged in, when we allow those things to crowd out God, who is the most important person in the universe and to our lives and to our eternity, when we allow that to happen and God has to get our attention, he says this in verse 14, if my people, right, if who? My people, who are called by my name, and he says, we'll do a couple things, three things. He says, if you'll do these things, and this is not no magical like solution, do these three things and God appears like you, you rub a lamp. 
But he's basically saying to us, if you will just take this, this attitude, if you will just take this posture, and remember that, that I am God and you are part of my creation. He says, if, if you will humble yourselves, right? And what, what does that mean? That simply means this, put God first again. Remember that he's the most important person in the universe and in your life. And if you take a 24-hour period and you don't spend any time with him in it, you have just said to God, God, you are not more important than all the things I think I had to do today. Right? When you crowd God out of that 24-hour gift, you are sending a message to God of how important he is or isn't. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, right, will, will just lower themselves and put themselves back where they belong, right, that God is God and you are not. And then he says, if you'll pray, just, just pray, just spend time with me. And he says, then if you'll seek my face. In other words, don't just say a, a quick prayer and be on your way, but spend time seeking the face of God. See, all three of these things require that you stop. You can't just take a little pit stop. You have to stop, and you should drop, and you need to spend time in prayer, right? Just spend time right there with God every day in that 24-hour prayer saying, thank you, God, for this day. Spend time with God. Because when you do so, you not only tell yourself, you remind yourself, and that you are telling God, right? You're showing God, and you are also then being a witness to the world that this time with God is the most important time of this day that you could ever spend, right? Think about that. I know this is, this is a hard thing to do because we're all so busy, but God deserves our time, does he not? I mean, God deserves us to do that, and this is, why, this is why we don't hear from God the way we would like to. We put him on a back burner. We put him on a back shelf somewhere. And every once in a while, we get him out, and we dust him off, and we say a few words to him, and we maybe ask him to bless this person or that person or whatever, and then we put him back on there, and we go about our life. And today he's saying to you, no, this 24-hour period is a gift. Where, where am I going to fit into this thing with you? Are you going to let me be a part of this or not? You know, he's asking you and he's asking me. And he says, here's where it begins. You just humble yourself, get, get real with God again, pray, seek his face, and tell the world that the most important thing that I can do today is not win the world to Christ. The most important thing that I can do today is spend time with the one who made me. Is that not the most important thing you can do today? All right. I mean, we come in here on Sunday, and this is good because we're saying to the world, we're saying to ourselves, we're saying to God, God, this is important. I'm going to be here because I want to spend time with God's people, and I want to spend time with God. But it's not enough to do it once a week, is it? I mean, is that what God gets, an hour a week? That's never going to be enough. You're never going to walk and follow Jesus closely if that's all you do. It's not going to work. He then says, he then says, after humble, pray, and seek, he then says, and if we'll use that 1%, right? Remember that 99% God, 1% us rule? He says, if you'll use that 1% of your effort to turn from your wicked ways, verse 14, he says, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. So God says. 
says, if you'll turn to me and you'll come to me and you'll humble yourselves and pray and seek my face, I will turn to you. I will feel welcome by you. Till then, you, it's the ball's like in our court. It's like, do you want me in your life or don't you want me in your life? It's up to you right now. If you want me in, I'm coming. Full bore, I'm coming in. And I will heal you and I will protect you and I will give you everything you need and guide your steps and be with you, be with you forever. Verse 15 says, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. And he's talking about to them, Solomon, in that temple, that when they came to that place and they worshiped the Lord and they prayed to God and they humbled themselves and they, they, they sought the face of God, that he would show up. For us today, there's no temple. We are the temple. God dwells in you. He wants you to live in him and him live in you, right? God is wanting simply to spend time with you and more than you probably give him. But the battle truly is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord. And he is ready and he is more than able to fight for you, right? He's given you the armor that you need. He's made it available. The attacks have been identified. He told us where they're coming from. The schemes of the devil, right? That's where they're coming from. The devil is after you. He's going to throw all kinds of stuff at you. But know that the, the, the battle really is from the depths of the pit of hell. And you can't win on your own. You have to have the Lord fighting for you. You're not going to win this thing on your own. But you have to invite him in. You have to ask him on a daily basis, every 24-hour period, God, come into my life. You, you, we, we have to like hunger and thirst for God like we do air, right? Not because we have to, because God is demanding something out of us, but because he made us in his image and he loves us. And we should, our natural response to that should be like breathing him in and out. Like, Daddy, I need you. Like, it should be a natural response, but the devil, and you could see how the devil has worked, he's slowly pulled you away from that, from that yearning of your dad, of your spiritual father who created you. We're so much, we are so much like Simon and the others, right? The apostles, so full of promise, right? Jesus chose these guys to follow him, and they're so full of promise. They're also so full of brokenness. We're just like them. We're no different than they, right? And in uh, Luke 22, there's this passage of scripture that sometimes you wonder why God puts scriptures in there that don't make him look good or don't make, make his people look good. But in, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, uh, the scripture says this, Simon, Simon, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, he's talking to Peter, and he says, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Did you, did you hear that? Jesus is telling Peter that the devil has asked, kind of like Job, the devil has asked to have his way with the apostles. The devil wants to destroy them, to show God that they're not really believers. They just say they are. They're not really committed to this thing or they would spend more time with the creator, right? So they're just kind of hanging out and just give me a few minutes with them. The devil has asked to sift you all as wheat. Look what it says, verse 32. Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Okay, just think about that prayer for a second. Jesus, the author of the universe, says, 
Simon, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And what does his faith do? It fails. He fails. He denies Jesus that he even knew Jesus. Denies three different times he even knew Jesus. But then after the confusion, when the dust settles and he comes to his senses, right? When he stops trying to do it on his own will, Jesus restores you. And he restores Peter. Remember that? And so this, this is one of those verses that you go, why is that even in there? I mean, this is like a, a bad failure. Not just of Peter and the apostles who ran off, but like of Jesus' prayer. Jesus, I said, I'll pray for you. How, who else would you want praying for you than the King of kings and the Lord of lords? But Jesus says, after, look what the verse says then. After you have turned, Jesus says, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, but after you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. In other words, God understands. Apparently he understands our, our weaknesses and our failures, and he's not afraid of them. Right? He's not afraid to say, look, I'm, I'm all for you, but you're going to struggle. You're going to fail. But when you get back up, come back to me and, and, and strengthen your brothers, he says to Simon. Right? After you've turned back, after you've gotten your act back together and you've humbled yourself again and you've sought the face of God and you spent time on your knees with the Lord again, after you come back, Strengthen your brothers. How awesome is that? I mean, you know, if I were writing the book, I would have left that part out. Doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't make sense, right? I mean, Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords, prayed for Simon and, and still knew that he would, he, would wand, he would wander away. But he still includes that to tell us that it's okay. He's still for us. Whatever you've done yesterday doesn't matter as long as today you get your act back together and come back into the presence of God because he's way big enough, right? He's far big enough to deal with your issues and your weaknesses. And whatever you've done wrong, he can deal with it. Aren't you glad? I mean, that's that's so hopeful to me that God includes in the story of, of the apostles their weaknesses and their failures because I'm just like they are. The battle truly is the Lord's, right? I mean, the battle is the Lord's. Just, just say that, just say that kind of to the Lord and to yourself. The battle is the Lord's. Well, what does this even mean for me? What does this mean for you? When you say to God and to yourself, the battle is the Lord's. You're saying a lot. Those five words mean a lot. Think of how powerful those words are right there. When I say, God, the battle is yours, all of a sudden I'm saying, I don't, I'm not that big a deal in this thing then. If the battle's God's, why am I running around fighting all the battles? If the battle's truly God's, why am I worried about it? If the battle truly is God's in my life, then why do I think I need to do it all? If the battle really is his and I believe that it's his, why am I getting in the way if the battle truly is the Lord's? Our victory is 100% in Christ, right? It's in Jesus, right? The only victory 
that you will ever have beyond money and beyond all the stuff of this world that means something is in Jesus. And there's a passage in Colossians 2 I want to close with um, that I wanted to share with you here, and, and we're going to wrap it up with this. Look what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 about our victory. He says this in verse 13. He says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, our spiritual indebtedness to God, which stood against us and condemned us. God has taken it away, nailing it to a cross. And having... And think about these words in light of the armor and in light of the spiritual battles that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he demolished them, right? He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. See, nowhere in that verse, nowhere in those verses or in that passage does he say, I did anything. I didn't do anything. I mean, I can't do this. This is spiritual. This is far deeper than us. This is God doing something that you and I could never do. The battle is his, was his, and will always be his. Forever. You can't win the battle that, that you have to fight. But you can grab onto the one who can win. Right? And that's what we do. We are, we are a mess. There's no doubt about it. We've got all things, kinds of things going on in our lives, in our world, and, and, and it's confusing. But the one thing we know for sure is that the victory is in Jesus. And if we'll hold on to him, we'll have victory in him. This verse says, you were dead because of your sins, but you were made alive because of Christ, through the cross of Christ, right? At the cross, at the cross. Not just where I first saw the light, but where I came into the light. Where the light opened my eyes and opened my heart to what the truth of the universe really is. And that is that we have a God in heaven who loves us. Who just wants to spend time with us. And every day he gives us this like 24-hour period of time as a gift. He says, here is this gift for you. And we get to decide what we're going to do with that. You know, and, and sometimes we get looking so far forward that we forget that this day is a gift from God. And somewhere in this day, I'm going to spend time with him. Not just check in, not just pit stop God, but truly stop what I'm doing and just seek his face, you know, and humble myself and say, God, I need you. I know you want to use me in this world to do whatever it is you want me to do, but I want to make sure I'm... I'm lining up under you.